This is no April Fool's joke. Our March membership campaign was so successful that we're extending it through the entire month of April. Enjoy 50% off the regular monthly or annual membership price. Visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and enter code NOFOOLING, one word, to receive 50% off our regular membership price of $50 per year or $5 per month. Members receive access to bonus content, an ad-free listening experience, exclusive blog posts, an invitation to join the DSR Slack community, and more. This is a limited time offer, so act now. Visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and enter code NOFOOLING to receive 50% off. Thank you. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of DSR. I am your host, David Rothkopf, here in what is pretty sunny Washington, D.C., uh, and uh, I am joined by our uh, old and reliable friends, uh, Rosa Brooks of Georgetown University Law Center. How are you doing, Rosa? I'm good, David. How are you? Good. And David Sanger of the New York Times. How are you doing, David? Good, David. You look like good you're in the Charles Hotel. That's just because I, I, I know I know fake bookshelves when I see them. I am indeed in the Charles Hotel in the lobby. In the lobby, I, I could, I, I could see that. Books well, you look are real. I think the books are kind of fake, though. Try them. Yes. Try them. The books are kind of fake. Yeah, they're they're, they're slabs of wood, oh, and you would think, you know, for pirates. something for something that is in the in the environs of some of the country's largest libraries, they could like bring for a few books, maybe a couple of copies of David's and Rose's, yeah. and maybe even mine. Yeah, yeah <laughs> well, exactly. We could. We could fill a shelf with those. Uh, so, look, there's a lot of stuff going on, and I want to get to it. And uh, uh, the, the first thing I'd like to talk about a, a little bit is this leak of classified documents, uh, in part because I know this kind of thing really excites David Sanger very much. Oh, it's thrilling. Yeah. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, once again, it seems like somebody has walked out of some building with a bunch of documents, unfolded them, photographed them, put them on the Internet, and uh, some of them seem to be fairly damaging and seems like a bunch of folks uh, in the government, at the Department of Defense, at the Department of Justice, have their hair on fire. Is that with good reason, David? Well, they do have their hair on fire. Um, their natural condition is to have hair on fire. Um, let's think about what this is and what it isn't. It's not the Pentagon Papers, which was a giant comprehensive strategic history of the Vietnam War. It's not WikiLeaks, which was uh, years and years of State Department cables. It's not the Snowden uh, disclosures, which were um, basically the NSA's operations and technology to break into China and Russia and Iran and so forth. But, what it, it, but all of those were somewhat historical. In other words, when you looked at the documents, they were already a few years old. This stuff is fairly limited. Uh, I've seen a few 
several dozen of them. We think the universe may be a hundred or so documents. You mean kind of just smaller than the amount of documents Trump stole? Mm, yeah, it would be less than those, less than those, but more operational than what was found in Mar-a-Lago. Um, and, you know, the main thing, the main saliency of these, David, is that they are so new, right? They are dated like February 24 or March 1st. Uh, and I mean, I was looking back on my calendar saying, gee, people were saying X and Y and Z to me on those days. And what's interesting about them is that the ones that people have their hair on fire most about are basically operational plans about where the United States would have air defenses in Ukraine and so forth. Um, but some of the most interesting stuff is really about the U.S. doubts about where the war is going. What would happen if Zelensky gets killed? What would happen if Putin died? What would happen if there's a stalemate? So, you know, it just gives you a sense of how what uncharted waters we are in right now. Uh, the, uh, the documents are purported to include some that, that may be fake or altered. Before we, I get to Rosa, what's your take on that? So I've seen a couple where there were they were clearly the real document was offloaded from one of these game sites. By the way, you know this is not like Daniel Ellsberg going to the New York Times. This is somebody who was trying to settle an internet fight. It looks like, and you know, posted them on what amounted to a, a Discord subchannel. Right? Uh, it's perfect leak for this age. But um, we think that a couple of them were rather clumsily altered by pro-Russian groups, maybe by the Russians themselves. I would hope the Russians would be more subtle about it, and then re-released. So you'll see two versions of it. You'll see the original version, and you'll see the doctored version. Um, but I've only seen a handful where we think that happened. So, Rosa, one of the things these documents show is that we spy on our friends. Are you shocked or are you shocked, shocked? <laughs> I'm shocked that anybody's even pretending to be shocked by that because, you know, I think we already knew this. Um, I think we knew it uh, uh, before Snowden's document released. Uh, and if we didn't know it before then, we knew it after that. So, so yeah, I mean, that's, they're spying on us too. So if it's any consolation, everybody's spying on everybody. Um, you know, we need to have some kind of full employment scheme. Uh, for our civil servants, so everybody has to spy on everybody. Otherwise, people have nothing to do, and they'll be unemployed and have to go get a job at Burger King. Well, that's 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 true. Uh, it seems like one of our our allies uh, who we uh, uh, spied upon, or one of our friends, uh, Egypt, uh, where we uh, pump tons of money, tens of billions of dollars, um, was contemplating a scheme to send weapons to the Russians. Uh, Rosa, but should we keep pumping all this money towards Egypt if this is the kind of thing they're thinking about? Well, gee, David, <laughs> I'm also shocked to discover that we are pumping money to various so-called allies who turn out not to be very good allies for us. Uh, that That's totally shocking, too, and I have no idea why we would do such a thing, especially in the Middle East. Uh, <laughs> especially since our last episode was annoying allies. Uh, this, this I think, goes past annoying, though, doesn't it, David? It would if the Egyptians really do it. Probably the fact that this leaked out is the greatest defense the United States has for going to the Egyptians and keeping this from ever happening. And what the U.S. is saying publicly is they're seeing no evidence that this is actually going on. 
I think the more embarrassing one is the South Koreans, right? So you read into these documents and I don't know how much of your guys' weekend you ruined by actually paging through this stuff. But since, you know, I have to so that you don't have to, um, uh, I found the section on South Korea to be amazing. So I had just been in South Korea a few weeks ago when I'm asking them questions like, so what are you doing to aid the Ukrainians? We know that you're the largest manufacturer of 155 millimeter uh, artillery shells. Would you be sending those? Oh, we haven't made any decisions. It's so hard. We have these policies. We don't want to anger the Russians. So, David, you're a journalist. Yeah, They've got to lie to you. That's, That's right. also part That's of right. your job. Um, it's the most fun part, getting lied to. Um, so, um, so then you get this document, and you know one of them is basically a signals intercept that describes the inner workings of their NSD as they argue back and forth about whether or not they ought to do this. And then the next page is a delivery schedule of the sea shipments of the 155 millimeters with people worrying about how much this costs, which is like the ultimate bureaucratic, by the way, $26 million to ship them by sea, um, in case you were wondering. That's, but That's almost as much as it cost me to FedEx at a leather to my brother in France. Yeah, well, that's true. Um, so, um, uh, you know, this is particularly difficult because the president of South Korea is coming for a state visit in two weeks. And, you know, when the president, when President Biden says, we've heard so much about you, you can imagine why. <laughs> yeah, well, of course, it you. also turns out that, that we were, is... we've been listening in on uh, uh, Zelensky yes. in Ukraine, um, which I'm actually a little bit relieved. I'm not particularly surprised, but I'm actually somewhat reassured that we're listening to him since, since uh, in some ways, I think one of the most concerning aspects of the war effort in Ukraine to me, and I've said this before, is that I, I don't think we do have any answer at all to the, the old Petraeus, how does this end question. And we have sort of just been getting sucked in a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. Uh, so I'm, I'm actually slightly reassured to know that we're not being quite as, quite as uh, uh, credulous as we sometimes appear to be. Well, David, though, we're not that credulous with Zelensky. I have to say, when I talk to administration officials, they, you know, as much as they admire his courage and that of the Ukrainian and government, his wardrobe and his fashion sense, and his fashion sense, exactly, uh, and their ability to use, you know, TikTok to generate support, the, the, the reality is the U.S. has remained healthily skeptical of Zelensky's judgment for a long time, haven't they? They have, and the relationship with President Biden has gone waxed and waned. Zelensky used to get on the phone and basically come in with a shopping list of of uh, military equipment he needed. You can understand why he'd want to, but um, that wasn't the way the president wanted to go do business. Um, I'm not at all surprised they're listening to him any more than I was surprised that they were listening to the Mossad. Yeah, well, that's it. And and the Mossad listening to the them. Mossad no was doubt. listening to them, and the uh, Mossad was financing protesters against Netanyahu. This is all such a wonderful world. When I was w reading the stuff about the Mossad, which, by the way, the Israelis have denied, but it basically said that the Mossad was supporting the the uh, well, protests plausible. against their the denials Oval. are always plausible. That's yeah. right. I just keep thinking if they're spending so much time listening to us, and we're spending so much time listening to them, why don't we just have everybody put everybody on speakerphone? That's, 
that's too efficient. These are bureaucracies we're talking about, David. Plus, it's not as much fun. Without that clandestine element, it's not as cool. I know this because I used to work in the Pentagon. They told me that. I was thinking, like, why don't we all just talk to each other? And they said, that's not cool. Yeah, and nobody would believe it. But if we steal right, the information, right. then we believe right. it. No, you know, but, but I would. Lo- I'd love to actually get to get to get your sense, both of you, David and David. Um, you know, I I think one of the obviously the takeaways from these leaked documents is that the the message that that of course the Ukrainians are trying to uh, get everybody to accept is that you know the Russians the Russians can't possibly can't possibly succeed and the Ukrainians are going to win. Um, because they are more awesome, and they are in fact more awesome, you know, significantly so. Uh, not to mention being uh, on the right side of history on this one. Um, but but equally, the, the the leaks make it very clear that the there are a lot of reasons to be concerned uh, uh, about the future of the Ukrainian military effort, both in terms of running out of certain key munitions, uh, in terms of of the strategy, in terms of the number of casualties, although there's that that may be one of the areas where there's been some disinformation injected into this. Um, but it but it, you know, it really does once again reinforce for me that that question of like, well, how do we think this is going to end? Where do we think this is going to go? What, what do we think is a is a an ending to this conflict that is realistic? Um, and, and, you know, you, you're, you're, you two are both cynics, so I know you're not going to answer the way, you know, a, a White House spokesperson would feel obligated to answer by saying something like, you know, this will end in the humiliating defeat of the Russians, uh, the total liberation of all Russian-occupied parts of Ukraine and democracy breaking out all over. You know, that's that's would be wonderful, but doesn't seem terribly likely. So what what realistically do do you, in terms of both your own sense of it and what you're hearing from others, see on the horizon, uh, you know, six months from now, two years from now. David. Well, I mean, I'm in the, the general military, uh, largely a stalemate case. If you are, if you think the objective is to, um, liberate the, the Donbass from the Russians or the Russians to go dominate it, I don't see that either one of them has got the firepower for that. And, the Russian offensive that started in January was unimpressive. Uh, it was bloody, and it had huge casualties along the way, but it didn't gain very much ground. And these documents suggest that many in the U.S. government have their doubts about how well the Ukrainian counteroffensive will go. Um, I do believe that the Russians at this point have their hands so full that their ambitions of Taking over all of Ukraine, it's got to be severely diminished at this point. I'm I'm uh, in a similar perspective. I, my sense is uh, that you know Ukraine will consider victory anything close to, um, uh, or in one or two cases, slightly better than where they were on February 24th of last year. Um, in other words, getting back anything that was lost between 2014 and last year seems unlikely. Um, and that they will consider, you know, a, a, a defeat and not acceptable uh, anything uh, that that looks like Russia made a gain since February 24th, since last year. 
And I think the key is going to be if Ukraine launches some offensive, gets back a chunk of land, looks like Russia uh, is back on its heels and can negotiate back to that. That's kind of where I, it'll probably end up. But I think the, the you know there are two other big X factors here which are just as important. And one is there will be some sort of calculated political settlements for Crimea and the the the, the remaining bits of Ukraine that will never get resolved, and this issue will remain open. And uh, the second is uh, that the rebuilding will not go the way anybody wants it to, and that will create new problems in the long run. And so I don't expect that this issue is, is going to get settled once and for all, uh, but I do think there may be a, t- a time out. Let me switch the topic, um, uh, Rosa. Um, speaking of allies who are annoying. Uh, one of our favorite allies, our oldest And allies. who we're constantly listening in on. Yes, right. <laughs> well, and, and but, you know, our favorite, our oldest ally is also sometimes the most annoying. And uh, uh, the Emmanuel Macron went to uh, China last week and essentially said everything China wanted to hear, which was, you know, we can't be bullied by the United States. Europe needs to take its own tack. Uh, you know, we can't be you know, reflexive uh, on Taiwan the way America wants us to be. Uh, we, you know, this, this his whole kind of strategic independence shtick. Um, and uh, this was contrary to what the European Commission president, your Ursula von der Leyen, was actually saying at the same time in China. And they treated her kind of crappily and they treated him like a king. Um, and he's gotten a lot of criticism uh, since. Uh, and people I've spoken to in the administration as recently as last night were super pissed off. Um, off the record, they were super pissed off. Um, <laughs> On the record, they were also super pissed uh, off. Yeah, so. right. <laughs> um, uh, but, uh, you know, what's what's your reaction to Macron doing this? It's not a huge surprise because he does this kind of thing sometimes. It's not a huge surprise it's also not totally unstrategic, I think, right? I mean, he wants to be important. Um, everybody wants to be important. And at this moment, I think he, you know, he doesn't like just being part of a part of the crowd, the crowd of, you know, country, reliable U.S. allies. He wants to sort of signal, hey, you guys have to pay a little bit of attention to me because I have some choices here so that we get annoyed, but also so that we say, well, Emmanuel, you're really a very important, very handsome man, and we like you very much, and, uh, you know, we need you in our camp. Um, and, and, you know, I, I, think, I, think he may have, I, may, I think he may have miscalculated, he may have overdone it by being a little too much of a jerk, but, but I think, you know, I don't, I don't think that was an accident. I don't think he misspoke. I don't, you know, and, and I don't even think he thought it was a, I don't think he thinks it's a strategic, a strategic error, although he may have overplayed his hand a little bit here. And obviously, if, if you're France... You are nervous. You're thinking, I, I, I do want to stand up against the Russians because they're kind of close to me, right? And they're, they're kind of mean. I'm not that worried about China in any immediate sense. Um, you know, China is a rising power. I see the U.S. as a, as a, as a waning power. Um, I want to hedge my bets as much as I possibly can. You know, I want to stay in good with the United States, and that's where he may have overplayed his hand a little bit. But at the same time, I want to signal to the, you know, the new kids on the block that I'm open to being friends. And that, I, you know, I mean, I think, I think it was pretty calculated, although possibly misplayed. Well, David, I think, you know, Rose is on to something as usual here. The, the reality is that I think what we saw from Macron is a glimpse into the future. 
with lots of countries, and, and, and by the way, into the recent past, with lots of countries saying, hey, I'm going to play China off of the U.S. whenever I can, whenever it's in our interests. Uh, uh, China's a rising power. Um, we may not like everything they do, but, you know, the U.S. irritates us periodically from time to time. So uh, if we don't seem slavish to one or the other, it gives us a little bit more, not just appearance of independence, but leverage with one or the other. What do you think? Well, David, my only surprise by what Macron said was that the Germans didn't get there to do it first. Right? I mean, they have they have more at stake. Uh, the Chinese episodically say to them, gee, a huge portion of your auto exports are here to China. It'd be a shame if anything happened to that, wouldn't it? So um, I but think... Let's give credit to Ursula von der Leyen, who yes. is German, who yes, did that's say true. right. Who did stand up and, and, and do all of this. I think what was going on here is that uh, Macron, having failed in his efforts to step in separately and dissuade Putin from invading, is now back to his strategic autonomy um, uh, agenda. And that means showing that he is somewhat equidistant between the U.S. and other powers like China. And that he's going to... But he says he's not. He says he's very, very close to us. He also says he's very, very close to them. But he doesn't have a good ruler. I notice his ruler is <laughs> yeah. a little messed up. And so, you know, the, the briefing that he gave that Politico reported on on his plane going back, you know, was, um, to my mind, the effort to try to just split the baby here. And it's not going to work. And it's particularly not going to work if the relationship between yeah. China and Russia deepens, because that's going to force him to make choices that he's not thinking thinking right now he really needs to go make. Um, I think they were a little taken aback by the blowback. Just before he went over to meet um, President Xi, he had a phone call with President Biden. The readout, the U.S. readout from that phone call was... Um, completely uninformative. But it would be really interesting if Biden had tried to cut this off at the pass and failed, or they fundamentally disagreed on something and uh, that uh, Macron told him he was going to go ahead and do this. I don't know, there's something going on in the dynamic there we don't yet fully understand. Yeah, maybe. But, you know, Rosa, just let me go back to the, the, the broader point, the down the road point. Um, and what we've seen in the recent past, and that is countries are starting to realize that if the United States makes demands that are unpleasant, uh, says you got to do this or uh, uh, start says things about your government that you don't like or says things about your human rights record that you don't like, whatever, that they can say, well, OK, we got plan B. We can go to the Chinese you know, the, you've seen it with the Saudis and others in the Gulf. You know, every every country in the Middle East has China as its number one or number two trading partner. Um, they see these these ties. We've seen the Chinese step up their role as negotiators because people would rather deal with them than, than deal with the U.S. Isn't this a harbinger of things to come? No, I think it is, David. I mean... Um you know, barring some dramatic shift in, in global power relations, um, you know, we, we are awaiting power. And 
you know, it, I, I, it, it, it always hurts our feelings when, when we hear other people say that, but, but it's the truth. And the, and I think the sooner we adapt to that and accept it, the better off we'll be because the, the, the plays, the moves that are available to you as a, we're winning power, but we're still very powerful. We'll, we're still the most powerful state. But we are not as powerful, either in absolute terms or in relative terms, as we were, you know, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, 50 years ago. And the the what is going to work for us now is different from what worked for us 30, 40, 50 years ago. And I think the sooner we realize that, the more quickly we will adapt, and the more we will be able to retain for as long as possible the power that we do have and the influence that we do have. Um, you know, the more we act like we still have a degree of, of, of influence that we increasingly lack, uh, the, the more we lose that influence faster. You know, so, so I, I think it's, it's just being, being realistic about it. Um, we, we, we should stop having little hissy fits every time anybody suggests that the world is becoming more multipolar, et cetera. And because we know that too. I mean, whenever you look, not you don't you don't need to have any access to classified documents, you know, to look at, for instance, the various uh, uh, releases of things like the National Intelligence Council's documents on, you know, future trends and what does the world look like in 2040 and so on. You know, we we know perfectly well that this is the case. Um, we just like to pretend that we don't know it because it's uncomfortable. Uh, it's unpleasant. It's more fun to act like nothing has changed. Um, but but it's it's not a particularly smart way to behave. Well, is graceful realism about the uh, gray that's forming at the temples of the United States the right approach there, David? Or do we need some kind of superpower Viagra? Um, don't, David, don't answer that question. Uh, David, you're muted. You're, you're sadly, muted. you're muted. David. Probably it's probably very good that I was on mute there. Uh, for You know, all of the immediate reactions I would have would probably not be a, a, a good thing. But I think Rose's advice that I not answer the question directly is probably the most career-saving, uh, you know, advice I could get. But um, Rose is right. Uh, you know, it's not simply that the United States uh, doesn't have the powers that it did before, but that you've got other rising powers and you've got to figure out how to accommodate that. Um, you know, I'm sorry I used the Viagra term because now everything you said becomes a double entendre. Yeah, I, that's really yeah, I can for just me. imagine it. <laughs> and um, look, this is not a new problem for the United States. We got through the, the first years of the new century as the unipower, and that wasn't going to last. And uh, then we got challenged, and we worsened our own challenges by what we did in the Middle East. And now we're returning to the norm of superpower conflict and other rising states. And we're sitting saying, well, wait a minute, we thought we were all in charge. And I guess when that happens, that's uh, when you uh, turn to your pharmaceuticals. Wow. Well, nicely avoided most of the metaphor there. Um, but, but you know, joking aside, Rose, I mean, I do think the one reaction the U.S. has had of this is to be petulant and to say, don't turn to them and they're terrible and let's stop them in their tracks. And and the other is to say, well, we believe in competition and we're going to win this competition. And they've got some real flaws in their system and their inability to adapt. And um, and we've got to up our game 
in terms of, you know, attracting and maintaining alliances. I mean, we, you know, I, the, this is a kind of a long-term competition that we have to get ready for, right? That's right. Isn't there a line? I can't remember what 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 it's movie it's from, but one of the Woody Allen movies where he says, "Isn't it weird that being, you know, needy and neurotic isn't more attractive to people?" Um, uh, maybe one of you can fill this in for me, but um, yeah, I mean, thus with supervised, as with Woody Allen, so goeth superpowers, right? Um, I think you, you said act- you you meant you said needy and neurotic, right? Yes, I did, David. <laughs> Get your mind out of the gutter. Um, yes, I did. Uh, you know, I, I mean, right? We if you act petulant um, and and have temper tantrums, uh, it doesn't tend to be nearly as appealing to your to your potential allies any more than to your potential dates uh, uh, than if you act like you, you know, you have reasonably high self-esteem. I think the U.S. should have high self-esteem. I want to give the U.S. a gold star and I want it to feel better so it won't act like such a jerk. Has that been your experience, David? Absolutely. If Rosa said it, that's (laughs) got to have been it. Oh, this well, is why she digs um, the deepest you know, silos, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. Well, um, uh, thank you, guys, for uh, guiding us through these two uh, big issues of this week. And, uh, of course, we look forward to following them closely, discussing them with you on an ongoing basis in future episodes of the podcast. And, of course, we'll have our usual future episodes, including one tomorrow. Uh, looking at a whole bunch of developments on the legal front with Dahlia Lithwick. Uh, So come back for that. Come back for more of uh, DSR. Come back for some of our new offerings. Uh, And if you want to know more about it, want to become a member, go to the DSRnetwork.com, click on membership, uh, become a member, um, and and you get a lot of bonus uh, content. So thanks to all. Thanks to David. Thanks to Rosa. And bye-bye.